0: For October 17th, 2016, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 433. Democracy is the ultimate kayfabe. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're talking about the things we love, the movies, the TV shows, the music, the comics, the games, uh, in a level of obsessive detail that you too will grow to love if you just hang out and have some fun with us. I'm Matt Rather, your host. I'm joined tonight by Pete Fenzel.
1: Hello, Matt.
0: And Mark Lee. Hey, it's good to be back. And we have a, uh, a special guest joining us in just a minute for our main topic of the night, but first... The question of the week we always start with a question, and uh, it's usually something about a topic that arrests us and, and just sort of captures our attention during the week, and nothing has captured our attention this week, like the taglines for the film "The Accountant," which uh, came out this weekend, stars Ben Affleck and the I- we, and none of us saw it, but the IMDB tagline is as a math savant uncooks the books for a new client. The treasury department closes in on his activities and the body count starts to rise. That makes no sense to me, but there were a couple of, uh, there were a couple of taglines in the, um, in the marketing for this, uh, for this, uh, what, what were they, Mark? What, what were the taglines that you heard for this?
2: All right. I'll do my best and my best Don LaFontaine voice Uh this October. Calculate
0: your choices
2: or alternatively, on October fourteenth all debts will be paid excellent
0: so <laughs> it involves it involves accounting and some manner of criminality so uh, given that uh, panel your question of the week tonight, come up with an alternative Uh, alternative tagline for the accountant. First in the alphabet, it is our friend Pete Fenzel.
1: Ben Affleck is the accountant. Mind the gap. You and stole mine! <laughs> oh, I stole it! You were going to do that one, too? <laughs> I was.
2: Continue, Pete, continue. Cap stands
1: for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, and it's a combination of standard business practices and compliance rules for accountants to to abide by. Uh, and, and no doubt uh, Ben Affleck follows them scrupulously throughout the course of this movie. Is that the first time, Mark, that I've stolen your question of the week idea? Because I try so hard to pick deliberately obscure ones that won't take other people's ideas.
2: I, I, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure you managed to like a steel wing commander or or, um, or terminator reference under my breath Oh
1: man, we're all we're, we are all turned
2: on the generally accepted accounting principles. Just <laughs> like
1: Netflix is.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. If you did, I you see, I didn't know what what those are. So it's uh, it's a great education for me. All right, Mark. Well, you uh, you have a tough road to home now because uh, it's it's almost like you have to fill out your whole uh, 1040 long form by yourself without the help of an accountant. Uh, but mm. I know that you can do it. What is your Tagline for The Accountant.
2: Ben Affleck is The Accountant. On October 14th, reconcile your general ledger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm only vaguely familiar with what a general ledger actually is, but here's a fun fact. Uh, my first job out of college, my first real job, was as a um, IT consultant for a company that sold accounting software. To this day, I still don't know anything about accounting <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, Which, it's, you
0: know. it's surprisingly complex. Like even at our uh, liberal arts university, where like there there were no classes in anything practical at all. There was an accounting class. It took a full semester, and it was apparently hard. You know, like like double uh-huh. entry. Like, yeah, uh, of course I, it's hard. <laughs> like doing doing accounting, and I'm not even I'm not even like uh, uh, talking about like the more abstruse parts of being a CPA, but like, and and tax law and things like this. But like. Uh, Uh, Just double-entry accounting is a a difficult – just the bookkeeping aspect is a little difficult to do.
2: Yeah. uh, Well, anyway, so uh, that was uh, the beginning of my long history of faking it until I eventually will make it. And I still haven't quite made it yet, so I continue to fake it. Um, My knowledge of accounting, including – no, I know what a general ledger is, so – that's about the level of expertise you've long come to expect from Mark Lee on the Overthinking of Podcast. Uh,
0: from from all of us, I mean, hmm. we are we are we are wide, we are not deep. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it's like a motto that should be printed on the side of our campaign bus. All right, here's mine. Ben Affleck is the accountant. On October fourteenth, carry your losses forward.
1: Last in, first out.
2: Make a statement.
0: <laughs> Balance the books. <laughs> or yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's like there is a uh, there's a style of of tagline that is a promise, like the books will be balanced. <laughs> you know, and that's a uh, uh, that's a good one as well. Um, yeah, I like the use of the passive voice of verbs, by the
2: way. Um, which is kind of leaves dangling. Well, who will balance the books, right?
0: <laughs> oh, there's only one answer to that question: the accountant.
2: Really, I thought it'd be like the accountant's office manager, <laughs> <or> the um... <laughs> the, account- the chief financial the chief financial officer for the organization. I mean, there's there's more than one
0: possibility for this. who who accounts for the accountant. You got a few more. You just want to throw a few more out there before we close. Before we close the books on this. Before we draw, before we draw a double line under the under the final calculation.
1: Credit, debit, nailed it. That's so good.
0: We are joined now by Rob Sesternino from uh, the Podcast Empire. Uh, with the flagship Rob has a podcast and the post show recaps podcasts. Rob, welcome to the Overthinking It podcast.
3: Oh, thank you very much, Matthew. I'm uh, very excited to be here.
0: I have a, a problem in saying the name of your show because I can't say the Rob has a podcast podcast and I can't say the podcast Rob has a podcast. There's too much podcast in, in uh, this podcast salad here. Um, how do you usually refer to yourself?
3: <laughs> wow. In very self-loathing terms normally. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that uh we tend to abbreviate RHAP a lot for Rob has a podcast uh overall just in, in in speaking of it in the third person.
0: Uh-huh. Well, uh, so do you say the R uh RHAP Podcast, like because then that's like saying ATM machine or PIN number. You know? <laughs> that's true. It's
2: that's
3: true. A, uh, I would just probably say on R H A P and drop uh, the uh, extra podcast.
0: The extra, po- the yeah.
3: vestigial podcast.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is exactly. like like a like a, an appendix? It needs to be mm-hmm. it needs to be excised uh, lest it get inflamed and, and cause all kinds of problems. So you can find Rob on R H A P wherever podcasts are sold for zero <laughs> for zero dollars an episode yes. and. And uh, on his website, com. And Rob's specialty is uh, talking about, uh, in, in Rob Has a Podcast, talking about reality competition shows. How did you get, uh, get into that for any of our listeners who might not be familiar with your story?
3: Sure. Well, I have always been a fan of TV game shows, and my love of game shows led me into a love of reality shows. And then eventually I ended up competing on the show Survivor uh, two times uh, a very long time ago, back in uh, 2003 and 2004. And since then, I've still been very much on top of following all these shows, Survivor, Big Brother and uh the apprentice and even the celebrity apprentice so i am very familiar with the pre-political work of donald trump <laughs> yeah
0: mm-hmm. uh and what's uh what's the haps right now what's the R Haps, huh <laughs> very like good that with uh, yeah. uh uh with reality tv right now if we if, if we were to check out rhap what would they uh what what would we find Well,
3: currently we are dealing with a very topical matter on Survivor as we have a season that is based on millennials versus Gen Xers. So we are learning all about our culture and society and the generations as a tribe of millennials are battling wits with a tribe of Gen Xers on Survivor. So uh, that is very topical.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those are very important demographics in uh, in this election and in the uh, in the coming election do all the uh, yeah. do all the millennials support Jill Stein <laughs> no too close no. too close deep cut deep cut there yeah.
3: Uh, it's really a matter of, it's like a regular survivor season, but we're really grasping at themes of like, oh, look at the millennials. They're doing this this way. What does that mean? Uh, well, look, look how the Gen Xers are doing this. So th- that's really um, a, a very forced narrative on this season of survivor.
0: Right. It also, I mean, it's an excuse to ogle young people in bathing suits, right? Like, which is not, <laughs> you know, which is uh, not the least ignoble thing that you will find on television these <laughs> so if that 's what you enjoy i say uh, I say, go for it but there's another reality television program on at the moment, another winner-take-all competition reality show. And it's a little one called The uh, the Presidential Election. And, uh, and when we found out that uh, you could come and join us on the show, it seemed like a perfect time, not just because of uh, The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice, but also because I think that um, television competition, I think that the tropes of competition reality shows have entered our culture in a way that we just expect things to be narrativized in in a particular way and that those narratives have entered the uh have entered the political race and w- when we talked about this internally at overthinking it it made a lot of sense to all of us so let's start and uh, see where we can get in terms of analyzing the presidential race as a kind of reality competition program i want to start with pete pete does this idea of a uh, of a presidential election as a reality show um, does this uh, resonate with you does this bring anything up with you does it raise any thoughts for you as you uh, as you consider it
1: yeah, I mean, a lot. I often think about the presidential race as pro wrestling, but I will back away from that and go with this framework. Um, there, I think of two different kinds of competition reality shows, ones where the contestants have to make decisions, strategic decisions about each other, and ones in which the audience makes strategic decisions about the contestants. And I think uh, and another sort of dimensional shift that happens in in competition reality shows is you often have shows that start with a large number of people, which could go in any number of ways. And there's sort of chaos theory dynamics of, well, you know, a little change here could lead to a big change in outcome. How do you handle large groups that are in this sort of competition versus how do you handle the final groups, the smaller groups, the final decisions, right? And I feel like both of those shifts have happened at various points in the presidential campaign in ways that to me feel like a reality TV show. And I'm curious what somebody who's more familiar with like the terminology and the mathematics of it or what have you the dynamics dynamics is a better word than mathematics of how these things work would think about, you know, like, like that first week of, you know, a uh, survivor or or anything else where or american idol or what have you where there's just a ton of people being a lot like the say the republican primaries and you're saying like who is going to win this you know and you have your ideas and you have your sort of inside track people and your outside track people but you're not sure and you can't predict right and and the sort of the uneasy it's not even it's not even equ- equilibrium. It's balanced on the edge of a knife. Uh, the way the popular opinion is going to shift one way or another to affect those sorts of things.
2: Yeah. So Pete, you put a lot of ideas on the table. We yeah. should start to unpack them momentarily. But I want to put another sort of set of um, uh, of concepts out on the table, and we can circle back to these as we can. Um, so Pete, you talked a lot about sort of about the structure of these competitions um, and you know, the similarities between uh, reality competition TV shows and the presidential election. The other thing that I think is uh, uh, implied. When we compare the presidential race to a reality television shows, a sort of normative judgment that we 're passing on what 's going on here, right in that um, this year feels like a reality TV show version of presidential politics because it is frankly it 's being kind of demeaned and, and the like level of discourse that we 're supposed to have for our uh, the politics of governor our nation uh, is being brought down to a level let 's just say like compare. Um, you know, our idealized version of courtship to something like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Joe Millionaire, um, these things that uh, kind of- Are you uh, saying Joe
1: Millionaire isn't your
2: ideal (laughs) notion of courtship? I'm going out on a limb here. Controversial statement, hot take on reality. uh, And
1: And also a deep cut, Joe Millionaire is really in the forefront of America.
0: But but that's a fair point that you make, Mark, that like when we say this has become like a a reality TV show, that- um, that were uh, it's a diss right like it it's like this is somehow unworthy of presidential politics or unworthy of like the heyday of presidential yeah. politics and, and, back and I, to- and
2: I should right I should be clear as well that is like you know part of the discourse I'm not necessarily endorsing that point of view and you know we can go in a whole tangent about how uh, nasty politics used to be compared to how they are now particularly in the 19th century um but uh, you know that that is definitely out there right a normative claim about Reality television and about this year's. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, in the in, in the Lincoln Douglas debates, that alliance switching was pretty uh, <laughs> was you know uh, uh, a pretty sick burn. Yeah, I mean, a I, hmm, lot of lot of directions to go. I mean, I think that one of the things that uh, uh, one of the things that the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, in particular, does. Um, and it's like if you if you take the Bachelor of the Bachelorette just as a text, it's not um there's like a huge amount of keyfabe in in uh, in how everyone has to talk about everything, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. in the second-order discourse around that show that we can talk about how it sort of demeans courtship or it, it uh, reinforces sexism. And I mean, there, you know, if you watch Unreal on Lifetime, like, there's a whole uh, set of analyses that that goes into this and, and talks about the sort of the, the constructedness not just of the, the particular narratives, but also of a sort of an idea of fairy tale romance and things like this. But if you consider the text in themselves they are super super sincere and that like that is another i mean uh, this is this is another thing and that there is a a certain amount of keyfabe in in presidential politics where we all know uh right we all know that um uh, is it Uh, kayfabe
2: i've heard it that way oh sorry yeah, I'll we'll return to our resident pro wrestling expert, Pete Fenzel, in terms of the correct pronunciation. Did, did I pronounce it, was, it I wrong? Said-
1: Oh, I mean, I always thought it was kayfabe,
2: but you know, I, I wasn't going to question it because so, so, I was so. going to
1: go with it. I was going to presume that it was the real way that it was, right? <laughs> I, was, I was not going to give lie to the <laughs> thing you said that was false, but instead preserve it in the interest of the reality of the fiction.
2: So right? take in that blow and then take that blow and then fly off the turnbuckle and go back into yeah. the ring.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, jump back down and and lower the people's elbow, but, but. Uh, But you fell into my trap. Um, the, uh. You
1: just activated my trap card. (laughs) There it is.
0: Um, right. But that there, there, there is this sort of, there's this ulteriority. I'll use the, I'll use the literary critical term for it. That there is a purported reality and an actual reality. And that, that we are very used to this. We're very used to this idea from our, from our entertainment. And like that, that in particular, the bachelor and the bachelorette are, are versions of this because at no point in any of, uh, in any of the manifest content of, of those texts is there a sense that this is, that we all know that this is ridiculous that it's uh, sexist that it's a little bit demeaning to everybody, right? Like everybody acts has to act like it's the greatest thing in in the universe, and I you know that's the same that's the same thing that's true of of uh, presidential politics. I mean, it's true of marketing of all types, of sales jobs of of all types, right? Like in those five minute junket interviews that actors do to promote films uh l- films like the accountant where you know the ledger shall be balanced uh the uh you know you think ben affleck like giving those answers over and over and over again for 12 hours a day in uh in a little hotel uh hotel conference room right 5 5 minutes at a time to journalist after, to quote unquote journalist after quote unquote journalist right you think you think that's real he's got to keep up the he's got to keep up the illusion uh he's got to keep up the illusion as well so maybe it's that we've we've kind of that this discourse of them as performers um has become and and the discourse about how we can't talk about them as performers uh and how we how we talk about how we can't talk about them as uh, performers has come into the has come to the fore in recent years rob what does this bring up for you how do you how do you think we should approach this gigantic topic
3: well, there's so many different things to uh, jump into, but I think that what you guys brought up about wrestling is especially interesting because I think it really does tie into some of the popularity of Donald Trump, especially recently where he's talking about calling into question the system and is the system rigged and can we actually believe in the electoral system and can if he actually did win the election and is it being stolen from him and just this idea of kayfabe and where you would never see any other candidate talking about this i do think that this notion is really at the back of some of the the populism and the the way that his supporters love him in the way that a wrestler like stone cold steve austin during the attitude era and cm punk also probably would talk about things in terms of the script of wrestling and it's like oh these are the things we're not supposed to be talking about and those were some of the reasons that i feel like that those figures were especially loved in the world of wrestling because they're talking about the things that are supposed to be
0: what's unsaid i you know i wonder if democracy isn't the ultimate kayfabe Right, we're, we're we're all supposed to believe that uh, we're all supposed to believe that that we can make a difference. All right, Pete, wrestling is uh, wrestling wrestling is on the table. <laughs> I mean, on, on and and, and my and chairs. my mispr- my yeah, it's exactly it's right, My my mispronunciation has been been corrected. Have at it. Do do your oh. worst. You know? Well, I think well, let's 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 start simple, right? So let's start simple. I think
1: when you're talking about wrestling, and I think that this plays into reality TV as well. Mm -hmm. You don't you got to dispense with the idea that there are good people and there are bad people, especially in terms of ethics and morals that exist outside of the frame of reference of the performance, right? Like like that's part of what's happening. There are there are social mores that get put into play and get played with. But the idea that somebody is a hero or a villain or liked or not liked because they are good or because they are bad, that is not how it works you need to do a paradigm shift and disengage from that and i've mentioned this on the podcast before but we haven't necessarily gone into it that much which is that you got to reorganize the notion of the good people the good guys and the bad guys the good girls and the bad girls into the heels and the faces right mm-hmm. and then and, and the idea being uh, the heel is the person that you want the audience to boo at and the face is the person that you want the audience to cheer for and that both heels and faces have a place in the theater of professional wrestling and 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 also people you know characters can do heel turns or face turns where they shift strategically you know often strategically for the sake of the storytelling but strategically in universe for the sake of their own characters right from one side to the other uh, and and this idea that the things that you do to be seen as a heel or be seen as a face, uh, they've been proven out by kind of trial and error uh, over time in in America's most popular traveling semi-improvisational uh, uh, indigenous comedic uh, style <laughs> or theater style. Basically, it's most power, but it's more popular, popular. Most popular live theater style has proven this out. It has arrived at certain things that you can do to be a face or heel that aren't about being good or bad that I think also play a lot into politics. Well, right. Into I mean,
0: I, like in the in the traditional, uh, especially at the conventions, in this sort of traditional rubric, I feel like the vice presidential candidates are supposed to be the heels, right? Because they're the ones who sort of make the low blows and sort of go on the attack and and uh, say this sort of vicious stuff and kind of rile up the rile up the base and that the, the candidates themselves are are supposed to be faces are supposed to be cheered at are supposed to be, you know. You know, sort of appear with a halo or a sort of bright, shining light emanating from them, right? And that that like it's uh, it's in this cycle, it's been a little more difficult to kind of figure out. Uh, it's uh, because sort of being a heel, I guess, gets so much more uh, gets so much more press. Yeah, the other thing is like you you have to in this particular cycle, you have to cope with so many more channels of, uh, of communication and not just the, not just the traditional broadcast television ones, but like there are various streams of, of social media with sort of bespoke content produced for each. Um, and, and, you know, they try to sort of talk idi- idiomatically in the various languages of, um, the different platforms that they're on i feel like hillary clinton deleting uh tweeting delete your account was uh, an example of that was a was a like a twitter joke that if you don't understand the culture of of twitter it probably would go over your head or seem uh seem like something other than um something other than what it is right
1: well i mean i I guess it would be something i mean it, it would seem like something other than what it is
0: yeah it would well i mean the the uh it would seem like an actual interaction right between two people uh which is what it is, but it's also um a it also reaches deep back into a uh into a sort of literary tradition a hundred and forty character at a time literary tradition right. that that yeah you re uh, you can sort of uh, but be indo- mean, think, you can be indoctrinated into, and I, my point is that if you're not indoctrinated into that, there's a different set of resonances than uh, than if you are indoctrinated look, into it.
1: Matt, I think I think I think you need to get with one of the primary key commandments of thinking about reality television, because you're talking about like in groups and out groups, and who under, who's in with what is happening and who's out with what is happening. Look, these candidates didn't come here to make friends. They came exactly. here to win, right? And, so, and it's important to see all this in the context of the, the extrinsic goal of winning the election, right? Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, so yeah. So some people, I don't know, Rob. What, what do you think about all this stuff? You you know a lot more about the reality TV stuff than I do. Uh, and I, does any of this resonate with like how reality stars would position themselves to try to like vie with each other uh, yeah, in, the, in the eyes of the public or the eyes of each other?
3: Because I I do think that with going back to wrestling and reality TV, you know, you have this idea of the characters who embrace the role of being the villain. I mean, most famously coming from the world of Donald Trump, Omarosa, who was sort of like the breakout character from The Apprentice. She loved being the bad guy, and that's what sort of made her famous on that show and i just feel like in following the coverage of this i think that really since the the billy bush stuff and probably from before that i think that trump has embraced this heel turn in the election and i don't mean to say that he is you know mustache twirly to all people because he certainly has a you know a gigantic base of support who love this turn much like we have with you know people like these wrestlers and these reality tv villains who behave badly and people adore them for it i do feel like that he has embraced this role and it's a, a role that i think from seeing it play out over the course of all of these apprentice seasons and in reality tv one that comes very naturally to him
0: i mean that the reaching deep into the reality television archetypes the first reality tv heel that i remember was puck from the real world san francisco when Mm -hmm. i was i you know i couldn't even drive back like it was uh it was uh early in the the uh yeah
3: real world two i believe san francisco i think that was like 1992
0: yeah uh thereabouts it must have been the yeah must have been the early 90s because i i was sitting at home uh watching it um maybe 91 even and and he i guess they went went As far as to sort of kick him out of the thing. And that's not a structured competition like a lot of the most popular reality shows are Um – a lot of the most popular reality shows are today, but that's a uh, that's a you know a, a, an archetype of the kind of the kind of person that we're talking about. And and you know again, it's like one of the whether it's a good guy or a bad guy, those terms don't don't apply in the way that that Pete said he was a sort of compelling he was a sort of compelling character. I mean, the the other thing that that uh, makes a lot of sense to me is the idea that these are competitions that move through um move through structured phases right and the uh, the uh it's funny i was reading some political analysis today that said political analysts and political analysts love to do nothing than more than talk about what political analysts like to do uh are always labeling things the unofficial kickoff of x like uh, labor day is the unofficial kickoff of the general election season um and that uh, uh that with um with all of these sort of different phases, there there are kind of different rules and expectations that apply. My my favorite reality show is a uh, it's a well, I mean, I I guess I need to get my genre descriptors right. When I think of reality competition, I think of uh, Survivor, The Apprentice, The Bachelor, things like this, where there are successive rounds and contestants are uh, are eliminated, and there's a sort of uh there's a personality component um, my my favorite reality show is and has been for a long time so you think you can dance which is structured the same way except it's a talent competition instead of uh you know um the different kinds of competitions that they that they do on those other shows and the competition is the same each week every week you dance um and uh it it's funny like the the, in the early days when they're narrowing the field from, you know, 20 to 10 or, or uh, you know, especially in the early days when there are sort of more drastic percentage cuts made, the, the, um, if you don't hear about someone... That's actually a good thing because the people that they do huge packages on, on that show are very likely to be the people who are eliminated, who, who they won't have an opportunity to do a package on later, you know? And so like, if there is a a heartwarming story of, you know, overcoming hardship or something like that, you're going to get that now, whether or not, uh, whether or not the, uh, the person is, is moving on and maybe even, uh, If maybe even more likely to if the person is um, is not moving on, and this is the like these are the the primary stages of the election, and then the the sort of serious contenders are uh, the serious contenders are identified, and everyone stakes out. Um, stakes out a position, stakes out a kind of a place on the continuum, uh, for themselves, stakes out an identity and stakes out a narrative for themselves. Now, now my, as a non-specialist, Rob, you gotta check me on this. Yes. My sense is that people, Come into reality television now with actually a very sophisticated sense of how the whole thing is done and a very uh specific set of strategies, whether ultimately effective or ineffective a at least a, uh, a not, not an, they're not innocent of how the sausage is made, and they come in with strategies for what they think is going to move them forward in the competition is that uh, that's the case right?
3: Yeah, I do think that people come in a lot more sophisticated than how they were, say, 10 or 15 years ago. But I actually think that the process that you're describing, I think that the political process was sort of like the antithesis to that, because I do feel like that if they're not covering you in the early days, if they, if we're not seeing your package, if you're saying that on you know, So You Think You Can Dance or a competition show, they're saving it for later. I mean, I don't think that that's a thing in the political arena, because that's how I think Donald Trump really rose to power was that he had so much coverage and there was uh, so much talk of uh his package and not not like now but in there was a lot of-, of talk of his package yes. yeah with yeah. the Ruby. Uh, i mean yeah. very
0: yeah i mean i, I guess so and then he oh dear god help us but all. if Sorry, we're not seeing
3: you in the beginning it's almost like in american idol when they have like all these terrible auditions it's i i feel like it's a little bit like that where it's sort of like okay we'll see this person for a second and then they're gone but the people that we're focusing on from the get-go are the people that are going to be
2: around the whole time
0: yeah they're good yeah, so, for they're good for a laugh right
2: yeah so matt i think your uh, analogy holds true in politics actually prior to the trump era you have if you look back at previous uh um uh, primary election seasons like a herman cain type of person who uh kind of comes out of nowhere and captivates the imagination for a brief period of time before fizzling out i think that's the equivalent of the package uh, that you were describing
0: earlier, yeah. Or Ben, ben Carson this year, yeah, and Ben and- Carson as well, as well yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing:
2: is that. Um uh, that works on a slightly more level playing field than what we have this year. And I say slightly more level playing field because in, you know, in an example of 2012 with Herman Cain, you know, there's this outsider, you know, stacked up against a seasoned veteran, like Mitt Romney. Um, and that's not really a, a level playing field, kind of like more what you see with, on, on, on reality television where, you know, these, uh, you know, I guess all you know competent amateurs are, are, are coming in. Um, But uh, again, Trump uh, has broken the paradigm in that, uh, you know, he's like his, his, God, keep using this word, his package coming in early was not a detriment to him. He's just kind of, you know, obliterated. Um, these any any sense of structure and uh and, and patterns that we've had, so i, I there's all I guess all of that is to say that there is you know a lot of value in making these comparisons, but it it breaks down a little bit again just because of the uh of the complete lack of precedent around someone like donald trump in this election i mean
1: to 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 go to the other side mark of what you've been you've said a couple times and again, I think it's great that we're floating these ideas out here, and I know you don't necessarily hew to everything, but this idea that that a that reality TV is is, de- is degrading. It's degrading, right? Not degrading. It's degrading in some way. Or it is just, it is degrading. And to say, call something reality TV is to degrade it, right? There's And then this idea that Trump has kind of broken the rules of politics in a way that kind of is um, chaotic, sort of induces chaos. Mm-hmm. And I want to posit a, a, an alternate hypothesis, and I'd love to hear more again from the people who know about, more about reality TV, that part of the issue is that the technology of discourse in reality tv has surpassed the technology of discourse in mainstream american politics and as such you can translate some of the technologies of power from reality tv into presidential politics and they will outperform the outdated technologies of power and discourse in american politics and Mm -hmm. and that this and this very degradation right is is actually uh that is is actually kind of a, um, a a pulling back the curtain of a sort of artificial inefficiency uh,
2: in, in the way that these these uh, popularity contests have been adjudicated. I don't know what yeah, do people think I, about that. I, I hear that a lot, Pete. And I'm going to hear from Rob after this. But uh, the the long narrative coming out of the primary season has been that this uh, thesis that the party decides, right? That uh, party elites and the sort of oh you know the old technology of power that you were describing, Pete, like. Uh, that used to work, um, but this year it hasn't worked. Um, and we're seeing that uh, you know the more uh, media-savvy, spectacle-driven, uh, populist version of power dynamics like you see with reality television uh, catch up with and take the place of the old technologies of the political process. That's
3: interesting. I, I would I – would, Add to that also that I wonder if the schedule of how we decide on a president and the primary process is based on some, you know, uh, system of elections that is no longer relevant. Do we need 500 days of campaigning when we have a 24 hour news cycle and have Twitter and can get a message out instantly? And then you have a person who really had a major competitive advantage in being such a showman that no one else stood a chance to be able to beat him out in the primaries because he was so entertaining and the media was so fixated on covering every move because they're on 24 hours a day. And so is the system broken before we even get to where we are now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I could argue both sides of that, right? Like that... that um the longer in this case the longer process has uh, may have proved to be uh, all to the good because there's this sort of reversion to the mean or there's this chance to sort of vet uh or delve into um you know uh the a, a lot of stuff in people's pasts and you know a lot of upsetting stuff has come to light recently and and that's probably good because it's it's uh you know reveals more on on the other hand yeah this is a, a relic of a time when you know, you had to kind of travel from place to place or the, uh, the, uh, November to January 20th, um, delay, right, is a relic of a time when it, it actually took a while. The actual process of the election took a minute and we didn't know who it was for, for a little while. So there was this sort of, uh, uh process and sort of maybe rounds of process that, um, you know that that had to take place. Uh, given that, it's not. I mean, it's it's not clear what the uh, it's not clear what the right course of action would be because a shorter cycle, which seems to be indicated, given the the more robust and uh, uh, more unrelenting communications technology. Uh, a shorter cycle would seem to reward or i would hypothesize that it rewarded um flashover substance right uh whereas a longer cycle becomes interminable given the uh, given the, the fact that no one can talk about no one can talk about anything else and it's sensationalized all to hell um with uh you know with the way it's the way it's reported on. But I'm I'm very curious. I want to kind of stick stick in this vein that Pete uh that Pete brings up about the uh the communications technology and about the and it's or the the discursive technology. Yeah,
1: discursive, not no I'm not talking about machines. I'm yeah, talking but about the, ideas. But
0: yeah. but it's it it's concomitant with the rise of the machines, right? Like the the and I, I think the t- <laughs> right. Exactly. It's time it's time for uh uh, it's time to talk about Terminator, but the um, it happened uh, it it happens at the same time, and I think the two things are not are not unrelated, right? Like so, so let's consider as a uh, just as a norm, like normal storytelling. Um, The, uh, the, uh, a a TV show, right? You write a TV show. Everyone knows that there are writers who are writing the TV show. No one thinks that the actors are actually speaking their mind when they say their lines. Um uh right and you get a uh, you know you get up and you do it and uh, right like uh, if you're watching Westworld no one thinks that Evan Rachel Wood is actually a robot right and uh they're they're pretending and that that pretending is uh is part of the discourse and we all we all can talk about whether there was excellence in the in the artifice um i feel like we've sort of arrived at that that place with both, uh, sort of narrative based reality TV shows like The Bachelor and also in, uh, in the presidential election, right? Where every, everything is trying to be narrativized. Everyone where, where what you have is you have a set of phenomena and you have a competition over what the set of uh the set of phenomena means and it actually goes to one one dimension of hyperreality further than with uh the bachelor right because in the bachelor or the bachelorette the, you you feel like the producers sort of decide uh of all the possible stories what what story is going to be told but in the in the um presidential election there's uh there's a bunch of uh, competing narratives, right? Like, what does it mean that Hillary Clinton is coughing or something like that, right? Like, what what, what is the sort of spin, the, the interpretation that you're going to put on that? And all these, all these narratives compete. Here's the one level of hyperreality further. We talk about that competition now as a phenomenon itself, as to, like, whose narrative is going to be dominant about any... Uh, fact pattern, any sort of set of phenomena that are being yoked together into a um, uh, into a nar- into a narrative, right? Like, is this the, is this the the development that you see, Pete, or is it uh, still a further of level a level of abstraction beyond that?
1: I mean. Cla- Summarize it one more time. What you're, the question that you're asking? Well, I
0: think the I think the idea that like I, I'm saying, do you, do you sign on to my account or do you have a different account of uh, of of what's happening? Where there's there's a set of phenomena, there's narrativization, there's competing narratives, and then there is a meta narrative about the competing narratives uh, as to like whose cuisine will reign supreme. Uh, just to bring up another, of
1: yeah, my- yeah, totally. And you'll see this on message boards about reality TV shows and pro wrestling, right? where they'll, especially pro wrestling, where they'll talk about what storylines would be good for, like, oh, they should do this for this storyline, and this would affect this person, and this. So yeah, there are there are multiple levels of abstraction away from it, totally. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and the thing that I'm also interested in is, has reality TV, among other aspects of our culture, trained people in the intuitive and sophisticated interaction with kind of multi-tiered discourse of this sort, right? Like, are people more comfortable now with talking about something that's talking about something that's talking about something than they might have been 10 or 15 years ago because they've been doing it with regards to television shows as practice, right and so i mean i'm i'm talking about millennials versus gen xers i'm constantly astounded by the level of sophistication of the understanding of narrative framing that comes out of young people right and it's just sort of taken for granted that you understand how what it means to frame a narrative right when like you know that was the the idea they're even dripping into our discourse is this sort of sense of distaste for this idea of this is how people talk right oh it's gotten to this point where it's like this whereas like you know i mean i Remember, I—I I mean, the the big warm-up for all this was Gamergate, and I don't want to get into Gamergate, but the idea of like the people that I heard talking about it—you know—instantly jumping into the notion of like, well, this is what the narrative is, and I'm not going to agree with what you said because I'm not going to agree with your narrative, and instead I will posit this other thing that is in service of this other narrative, which will in turn influence the dispute over several facts, which might, in sort of a fifth-degree connection, influence an outcome. Uh, right, right, and that—that
0: like, that actually, I mean, that sort of style of thinking I, I date to. His sort of earlier political contests where, like, was the book called Don't Think of a Purple Cow or what, uh, you know, the idea that, that uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, be, being able to dictate the terms of the debate was synonymous with winning the debate because if you can kind of set the playing, if you can set the board up in a way that you want, you, uh, you can run the table, um, to, to a certain extent. And I think that this is an interesting, this is an interesting kind of new style discursive move where it's like, I won't even engage with what you said because I recognize that granting your premises, uh, ipso facto, it, you know, my, uh, uh, would defang my argument. Right. And that, that like, this is a new, um, uh, this is a new, new thing, I think, or a, at least a new thing as a, as a yeah. mainstream mode rather than like a, a sort of, um, parlor trick among logicians.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, the, a good term that everybody would, would a good term, I would even call it probably a, a mainstream, uh, Motif of rhetoric, like a rhetorical tool that's in use now that I feel like a lot of people could stand to know more about is concern trolling, right? Uh, you know, and concern trolling is all in this space of the meta narrative, right? And you and you see concern trolling all the time in reality TV, too, where somebody comes comes to you as if they agree with your proposition, but express some sort of concern with it. So as to frame a discussion of it in negative terms, because really they're opposed to your proposition. Yeah, right. Peter, I'm so, just yeah.
0: I'm 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 concerned that you're podcasting for the wrong reasons.
1: Well, oh, <laughs> look, Matt. You know it's great that you're. It's I, I'm totally on board with what you're saying, but I'm just thinking that like by using other people's names other than me through the time that you're talking, you know, you're talking to it's it's it's, it's a it's a weakness. No, I, but you know what I'm talking about. Like um, in the I mean, there's so much dripping insincerity of friendship in reality TV, and and the way that it's edited and predated, right? Producer edited. There's this there's this familiar feel of like the the wolf in sheep's clothing that gets the particular sort of music on underneath it right Mm. that seems to show up a lot Uh, and and that people encounter that from their friends and family now because they've learned how to do it Uh, and it's something that's very that i don't think a lot of people have the technological the discursive technological or rhetorical uh, awareness to
2: to understand and see when it's happening okay so you're talking about people's uh, heightened or or, you know levels of uh, awareness of the sort of discursive techniques and discursive technologies and you say they might not be able to pick up on that but pete it sounds like earlier You were claiming that young people have this uh, heightened awareness of narratives and narrative framing um, and sort of, you know, the talking about the talking about piece. Um, And I find that really fascinating. I'm going to go back to my, uh, you know, the the normative claims that I was making about reality television and, you know, how saying that, uh, you know saying that something is like a reality show kind of, you know, it has a negative connotation to it, but it sounds like uh, there could be this positive connotation to, you know, a heightened level of media sophistication that's going on as sort of like a, that being a good thing um, that, uh, that has arisen out of reality television. I'd be really curious to hear Rob, who uh, talks about the talking about, right, um, to hear his take on this sort of, if there's anything to this idea of uh, sophistication around narratives and if there is this heightened awareness of it and if it is a good thing or not.
3: Well, I definitely think that more and more people as they are now in charge of their own brand and their own storytelling are certainly aware of that. And I think that's certainly people that are coming into reality TV shows and also people that are coming into politics. And and I also that I think that there's something to this idea of younger people understanding this from an earlier an earlier age. And I think it's something that we see in wrestling where there's a Face Or a good guy that they're trying to put over and people are rejecting that because that's what's supposed to happen. And I feel like, yep, I, yeah, like Roman (laughs) Reigns. And I feel like that there's uh, an element of that with the rejection of Hillary to some degree in favor of Bernie Sanders, because that wasn't what was supposed to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's and I'm glad that we finally brought up Bernie Sanders because we've talked a lot about how Trump as as a as a performer, right, interacts with the presidential election cycle in, in a way that brings in technologies of performance. But like the support for Bernie Sanders it feels very similar in a lot of ways to this sophisticated meta reading of, of this KFAB storytelling, right? Where yeah, where like they, they've decided the narrative that they that they want to see and they've determined the outcomes that it's connected with. And they understand that they are the audience that this particular party is playing to, and when the party gives them, like the KFAB can be preserved so long as the audience is okay on a on a basic level with what they're being shown, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that when and that that is, I think the new party decides. Right, I don't. I don't think we've gotten away from the party decides. It's just that the party decides also has to do with the the influencers and the audiences and the commentariat being willing to accept the meta narrative that they're being presented with. And there was like a dodgy weekend where it like wasn't clear whether uh, Ted Cruz at the at the con- at the convention whether the rest of the of the party was kind of getting get on board with it. And then there was this sort of like release and it was like no they're gonna do it right they're gonna go with trump and it's gonna be what they do they're okay with it they're willing to accept it and in a way that the the, the narrative framing of hillary's victory over bernie has not felt as accepted right i mean that's weird to say because i know a lot of republicans who don't like trump but I, I i don't know i just feel like from a storytelling perspective like if this were a reality tv show the the people watching the hillary bernie reality tv show are like less are like also very unhappy with like that outcome. As well, the, way yeah, the, the story resolved. The victory, right?
0: feel, the victory feels less certified or less well, less well uh, ratified, right? Which By is
1: notable th- because it's not the same as because the feeling of the ratific of the narrative ratification of it translates into the discussion of the like like the the logistical narrative. Uh, uh, Ratification of it. Sure. Right. Like, I don't I don't feel like the story has been narr- has been fully ratified in a way that I accept. Therefore, I must presume that the real world or quote unquote real world, like the sort of uh, political tools, the sort of logistical tools that actually count the votes. Those also must be fraudulent. Well, this right.
0: Is a d- this is a b- debate that tests what happens when political candidates stop being polite. <laughs> <laughs> and and start getting start getting real, I mean a couple things about that like one it, it's it 's my sense that in recent days i mean yeah days like this thing is moving very fast, I suppose at the moment there has been this this uh, uh sense uh among uh kind of mainstream republicans that oh our nominee is not uh our nominee is in fact not who we want and there 's this this sort of attempt at unratification. Right. Of uh, of the situation of the situation that we're in. But, yeah, it's it's interesting how they how they were done. I mean, Bernie Sanders was an interesting case because he seemed uh, his narrative was that he didn't have a narrative. Right. Like his narrative was sort of that he was guileless and sort of up uh, up front about everything Um, that, you know, which which.
1: Rob, uh, Rob, how do people do in reality shows who come out and say, I always tell the truth? How do they do? (laughs) Well, it's
3: interesting because you get to the final two on Survivor or Big Brother or sometimes it's a a final three. But the person who tries to tell the jury because they people who were eliminated, they then hold all the power at the end of the game. But the person who stands there and says, you know what, I played an honest game. I played with integrity. The person who tries to make themselves seem like that they were sort of above it all always gets punished with the final vote but the person who sort of like owns what they did and owns up to their sins in this in throughout their however long campaign that's the person that the jury inevitably always gives the win to the person who was sort of more truthful about the things that they did to deceive Now again, the, the games of Survivor, Big Brother are very different than an election, but I do think that that speaks to some of the issues that Hillary Clinton deals with, where people feel like that she's not forthcoming, and, and somebody like she's always hiding something, and she doesn't you know speak with the same frankness, certainly that a Trump speaks with.
0: Uh, yeah well sure uh, d- for better for better and for worse right like uh yeah. that that's a story that cuts both ways so it's i uh, yeah i mean i suppose it's interesting it's because it's good to be frank but it's good to be frank at a certain point in the competition right like it's good to be frank at the at the very end you know while while you're doing all your Machiavellian uh uh machinations and plotting and stuff like that at that point it's not it's not good to be frank because you're being deceitful or you're you're you know doing all kinds of uh uh underhanded things or running all kinds of game on all kinds of people right like Mm. and that, that like but then at the end and you're, you're – there's this, a moment – there's like a threshold that you cross uh, after which you're laid bare and the artifice is no longer interesting. And at that point, the dominant strategy is uh, level with everybody. Be frank about what your strategy was uh, at that time. And, and so that's not – I mean there's a sort of – there's a, a timing issue there that is very interesting, right? Yeah, um, I think
2: so. So, so, I got so uh, Matt, you're talking about, you know, like these behind the scenes machinations that you that you hold back. Um, is there a way to um, uh, to describe what's going on with the Hillary Clinton Wiki leaks uh, leaking of the behind the scenes machinations much more prematurely than uh, anyone would uh, the, the Clinton campaign would like? Is there any way to frame those um, in the context of the reality television metaphor that we're that we're unwrapping here?
0: well it's it 's sort of like a hidden camera kind of thing isn 't it right like i actually one so one thing i wanted to to bring up is the the confessionals right the the um the sort of direct to camera address that reality contestants do because this isn 't i mean this is a very interesting thing narratively and especially you know if you especially if you consider that they 're shot after the fact uh and yet they're they're often narrated in the present tense so i am very excited to come to come to the house even though it's shot at the end of the day or tomorrow or next week or you know when the episode is being put together or whatever, whatever right like that uh you know that there 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 is um there's both a uh, uh there there's both a, a real and a fake Kind of hidden camera, kind of like uh uh revealing um communion with the uh with the audience right like there's one where we where two people sneak off into the hot tub together and get it on, and then there's another one where uh I tell the unvarnished story which of course is is varnished all the hell and back right um i don't know that's that's my sense rob you have a uh, you have a, another take.
3: No, absolutely. Um, I think that's actually very interesting in terms of the political discussion that we're having because I, you know, I speak to people, you know, that either have come through these shows, and, I, and sometimes I have the opportunity to speak to somebody before they're going to go on those shows, and, and I always like to talk about the importance of speaking to the camera in the one-to-one setting as though you are talking to the person at home. Like you're, you're not just describing what's going on to the producer, but this is really your window to speak to the person person who is sitting at home and really to foster a connection with them. And I think that the most compelling reality TV people that we've ever seen are the people that are really masters of that, where they're speaking to the people at home saying things like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe, these people are such idiots. This is what I'm going to be doing. And you're in on it. You know, I may be lying to them, but I'm being honest with you and fostering that connection. And those are the people that I think that turn out to be the most beloved. And I think that probably up until recently you could say that i think trump probably was doing a much better job than hillary was in terms of having that sort of communion with his followers in terms of and and i guess and, and if you probably polled them they would probably say that he's still consistently he's telling them how it is where hillary it never really has sort of the one-to-one interaction with her. It's like everything is always sort of prepared remarks and she's saying the right things, but I don't think that there is an intimacy between her and her followers that there is with Trump and his followers. And I think that does speak to this notion of the person Talking to their audience directly.
0: No, right. people talk about Hillary in the language of hagiography. They talk about her as an inspiration or as a uh, as a uh, an example case, right? Like as an as a uh, uh, someone who has sort of achieved or overcome or uh, you know uh, uh, what have you in in this sort of uh, paradigmatically admiring language. Um, but the way you would, you would admire sort of a saint or someone remote, rather than you know it's this it's this thing. That That people talked about with george W Bush, um, where it 's like someone you could have a beer with, like you know what i mean someone who who sort of speaks to me uh speaks to me in my language, which is not only a uh, a uh, good communication strategy for reality contestants but is like uh marketing advice that a lot of people get if you have to sort of sell something you want us to speak to your target consumer in the language that they would use themselves to describe uh to describe uh that problems and whether it's i whether it's uh just intuitive or whether it's um a like a, a highly sophisticated and well thought out strategy. Uh, Donald Trump has definitely had that uh, had that uh, had that skill. Pete, you want to bring us home because we're we're uh, we're about to wrap up, and I wonder if the gears in your head have been turning and synthesizing any of these thoughts into something that you want to say as a final yeah, thought.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's important to remember in all these discussions what we said. I think at the beginning. All this talk that we just did about well, this person speaks authentically. Like When you think about whether a reality contestant looks into the camera and speaks to the audience in an authentic manner the way that Rob is suggesting that they do, right? Rob is giving them advice to help them be successful, right? Rob is not giving them advice, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you're not trying to make them better human beings, and you're not trying to make their lives better when they get home, right? You're trying Mm -hmm. to help them be better at being on the reality show. Right. It's like it'd be better for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, you know, that, you know, better than anybody, certainly we've ever talked to, maybe anybody in the country, what it would really take to go on one of these things and be successful as a Mm -hmm. contestant. And it's important to think when a political candidate does or doesn't do that, you got to. It, you gotta recognize the level of extract, abstraction here. Whether they do it or not is more about whether they're like a heel or a face, right? Or whether they're a character that you, lo- that you cheer for or boo for than whether they're necessarily of themselves good or bad. Or even whether once they get into the business of being in office, whether they would do that better or worse, right? And, and this, there's, a, there's, a, there's this gap between are you good at being in an election, right? And I think that this is a very frustrating gap for everybody versus are you good at doing the job once the job actually comes around and there are people who are like i don't want to see these are the same people like i don't want to see reality stars on my facebook feed i don't want to see people talk about the kardashians i don't want to see reality (coughs) i'm like losing my losing my voice and my exasperation it's not a value judgment these people are not on there because everybody thinks they're better people That's not why they're there. They're there because they understand what they have to do in the discourses, in the communication, in the media, right, to successfully connect with audiences. It's a technology. It's not a value system, right? And as such, like, you're not going to rise above a technology that beats you. You know, this is the whole thing of like, well, I'm going to die with my sword in my hand and they have guns, right? No, like, win, Right. And, and and that's that's and that's that's you know I didn't come here to I'll say it again I didn't come here to make friends I came here to win right and if that means that I have to tweet like a jerk uh, maybe maybe I will right and maybe I'll do that right and then and then so that's why that's also why I can say that this conversation isn't really about at all who would be the best at being the president. And this is a conversation about the performance and the entertainment and the technologies and the interaction with the culture that's been happening during this this festival right. of, of mutual hatred.
2: And one thing one thing I think to get in here at the end here is uh, Pete saying that, you know, I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win and I'm going to tweet nasty things uh, that will help me win. You have to remember that, you know, that's uh, really – Using Donald Trump's definition, changing definition of winning, which at this point is going to be like be a continuing media star after he loses the election. He's after he's likely to lose the election.
0: Well, yeah, it, and it's interesting. Uh, yeah, you go, Rob.
3: Sorry, and, and it's interesting, Pete, that the the what you're talking about, the idea of that maybe the competition isn't necessarily the best at deciding it who would be the best at the job ironically i feel like that maybe it might be more appropriate to have this giant reality competition of finding our next leader be decided in an apprentice style hiring of one person <laughs> who, is the judge who would be much more qualified than the audience who sat here and
0: watched the show all right i'm not going to top that pearl of wisdom so uh it remains only to thank the panel and to thank especially rob Sesternino. thanks rob for being on the overthinking it podcast
3: Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening for a long time, so it is a thrill to finally uh, join you guys on an episode.
0: Oh, that's awfully nice. You can find Rob's Empire of Podcasts uh, at Rob Has a Podcast. Search for that in your podcast client. Uh, his website is com, and you can find his Post Show Recaps, uh, Scripted Recap uh, Podcast, at PostShowRecaps.com or by searching in your podcast client. Uh, we will be back with more more overthinking it podcast next week until then visit us on the web at overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it 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 probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve Let me leave you with this. It's a passage from The Restaurant at the End of the Universe by the late, great Douglas Adams. The major problem, one of the major problems, for there are several, one of the many major problems with governing people is that of whom you get to do it, or rather, of who manages to get people to let them do it to them. To summarize, it is a well-known fact that those people who must want to rule people are, ipso facto, those least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. To summarize the summary of the summary, people are a problem.